This is Spade Spoon Soul, a podcast about all the ways food intersects with our faith, from seed to spade to spoon. You know, we are glad to be back. We've been on an extended summer hiatus um, and uh, looking forward to the fall. And my name is Brian Sellers Peterson. I'm one of the co-hosts of this podcast, and I'm coming to you from the east slope of the Cascade Mountains in a little town called Roslyn, where Northern Exposure was filmed. So, I've, you know, if you think I'm calling in from Sicily, Alaska, that's kind of right. But uh, I live on land that was originally inhabited by the Yakima, and um, happy that the Yakima Nation is still, uh, you know, a part of our lives in this part of Washington state. Hi everyone. Um, it's so good to be back on the pod. This is Jerusalem Greer. Uh, I am coming to you today from central Arkansas, um, Conway, Arkansas. My, uh, we are visiting family right now. I'm at my in-laws house. Um, and we're um, in the part of Arkansas that's kind of right at the tip of the river valley um, and right before it begins to move towards the Ozarks um, on the land of the Osage. So super excited to be here um, when I'm not getting to hang out with Brian and uh, our guest and uh, sometimes Bishop Jennifer on the pod. I am the manager for evangelism and discipleship for the Episcopal Church. Um, and I am, uh, I guess I'm kind of an agrarian minister, right? Like I think we could say that. So super glad to be back on the pod with you guys after an amazing um, and whirlwind summer that we've had. And Jerusalem, I think we're going to have to do a podcast and put uh, Bishop Jennifer in in the chair um, to be a guest before we let her back co-hosting, because she's coming off sabbatical. I bet she's got a ton of stories uh, ready. Yeah. For us. yeah, that's a great idea. Well, today uh, we are joined by Brother Clark Berg uh, with the Society of St. Francis. And for at least another day, he's the guardian of the Friary of St. Francis at Hillfield in Dorset, UK. And he also is a priest in the Episcopal Diocese of Olympia here in Washington State. Um, so kind of, he's 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 a brother and a brother. Um, and it's so great to have him. He joined the society in 1989. Um, and he has served friaries in New York and California and the Solomon Islands. And it, within the community, he has served as the Guardian Assistant Minister Provincial. That's a mouthful. And was the Minister General of, of the Order from 2007 to 2017. So he brings a wealth of knowledge um, and experience and wisdom uh, from our Franciscan brothers and sisters uh, worldwide, um, but in, uh, so we, th we're we're pretending that this is the feast of Saint Francis while we're talking today, because this podcast is going to go live today. Well, I mean on October fourth, which is the feast of Saint Francis. So 
who better to have on our podcast um, than than someone um, who's who's a Franciscan and currently, at least for another day or two or three, lives on a farm at a friary. Yep, that's pretty amazing. Um, this was a, a providential guest for today, so I'm so excited that we were able to have this. Okay, so let's get started. Um, you guys have heard us talk a lot already. Let's hear from Brother Clark. Um, tell us, one of the things we like to ask all our guests when we first get started is we like to invite the question of where are you rooted? And people answer this different ways. It can be like geographically where you're rooted, what community are you rooted in, um, or any other way that you define that. But so help us out, Clark, where are you rooted? Thanks, uh, Jerusalem and Brian. It's really great to be with you. And uh, uh, I've never heard of your podcast, but I wrote down the name of it. And so I'm going to be checking you out. The uh, Being rooted is uh, something that's been a big part of my um, sort of thinking over, the, over my time as a brother, because I've moved around a lot. But uh, I do feel rooted and grounded. And there are a couple of ways that I've done that I do that. First of all, it's sort of in the, the stories and the spirituality of Francis that I find um, that's what attracted me to join the Society of St. Francis was the those stories about this young guy who sort of threw over you know, that upper middle class lifestyle and all of that and decided to uh, take a risk on living differently in the world. And so that was a very attractive thing for me, because at the time I was a parish priest in Tacoma, Washington at Christ Church, and I was also the um, chaplain at the Annie Wright School. And I loved those jobs. It was really great. But as I thought about the rest of my life, I was 30 years old, and I thought, my goodness, do I want to do this for the next 40 years? And uh, I really wanted, because before I lived in New York City and uh, ran shelters for homeless people and uh, lived in the shelter at St. Mary the Virgin in Times Square. So the, that was that was what really called to me. So the stories of Francis and his spirituality were very deeply grounding to me. But also the uh, the... The brotherhood, right? Uh, apart from just the stories about Francis, the experience of the living with this incredible group of men around the world were about 135 and uh, members of the First Order of Society of St. Francis. And so that, uh, uh, well, yeah, I know every single one of them by name. <laughs> and that is a deeply grounding thing for me to uh, see them on Facebook or hear about them and just feel my heart leap a little bit. It's, uh, I, I know these people and uh, it's, uh, yeah, I feel really grounded to have a, a large family like that. And then uh, the, in 1999, I stopped drinking and got sober. And was uh, so I was uh, uh, trying to, out of that experience of a, my, a huge midlife crisis, if you will, the, I was uh, having to reground myself and to come to terms with some of the ways in which I'd been 
maybe, um, oh, how to say it, not being totally honest with myself, or at least uh, I was as honest as I could be at the time, but I was obviously in denial about my life. And so the, the that fellowship of recovery was all was a is a very grounding thing for me. And out of that, about five years later, about 2004, you know, I still felt, uh, I didn't feel like a thousand percent, right? There was something wasn't quite right with my life. And uh, yeah, I was sober. I was a man of prayer. I was, uh, did some great work in New York and on Long Island, running the Friary there. And I was chaplain at the State University of New York in Stony Brook. It was lots of great stuff. But something was missing. And a chiropractor said to me, what do you do for exercise? I said, well, I clean the house. I rake the lawn. I wash the windows. What do you mean? And he said, well, what do you do for uh, fun? How do you, in a way, he was saying, how do you ground yourself, right? And uh, the, I said, well, I don't know. I, I think that's your job, right? You're the chiropractor. And uh, so he said, well, do you do any sports? I said, no, I don't. He said, well, you might think about it. So the, I began to experiment. I thought, I can't do anything that has moving parts, no balls or shuttlecocks or anything like that. I, the most clumsy person on two feet. So the, uh, I wanted something that I could just, just get out and do. So I decided that I would try running. And I discovered after the first sh shock of you know trying to run a, a mile, which was humiliating. The uh, it was uh, became uh, I just kept at it, and uh, so over the course of a year or so, I went from not being able to move hardly to uh, running about three miles, and then suddenly it was six miles, and that became my sort of three or four times a week practice, and that really grounded me. It wasn't just all about macho muscles and all that stuff. It wasn't just about exercise. But I discovered that I was uh, deeply connected to the environment, the trees, the weather, the animals, the other people I saw. The, we lived on the North Shore of Long Island, so I could run out to Long Island Sound. It was just three miles from our house and uh, extraordinarily beautiful. Uh, so I felt really grounded. And then as Minister General, I had running routes all over the world that I would do as I repeated my visits. I'll go on the same routes and uh, see different things. And uh, in the Solomon Islands, people would sing out, hello, Brother Clark. And uh, so it was just, uh, it was really great. And I found that uh, I was uh, not only felt physically wonderful or much better that, than ever in my life, but that uh, I felt connected in a real uh powerful way, both to the earth, where I was just pounding along those paths, and the trees and the smells and the bugs and the, everything just was, I was part of it. I was part of that scene. And I loved that. And also it had a deep impact on my prayer, because it was a, a sort of a kenosis, a emptying, self-emptying thing. And uh, as I was being self-emptied of all the worries and frustrations and angers and stuff that I Sort of carried in myself, the uh, I was, I was, I felt, but 
everything got reframed. Everything became not a problem. It became, uh, it began to see the world differently. So that's, so those are some ways that I ground myself. It's me going a lot of different directions because living in the mountains, I, you know, I've got, I've got all creation right at my back door and, and I've been not just on a hiatus from the podcast, but I've been kind of on a hiatus from hiking in the woods and just listening to you talk, Clark, just made me realize, um, you know, that I'm missing something. So I'm going to go for a, a nice walk in the woods after this. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, you know, um, it's October 4th, mm -hmm. right? Well, to us. Uh, and everyone who's listening, it's October 4th. So we've got a Franciscan uh, here. Um, and we'd just like you to talk a little bit about this, the feast of St. Francis and what it means to a Franciscan monk. Yeah, well, thanks. The, well, we're friars, not monks. That's the first thing to sort of clarify. Oh, good correction. Yeah. The, a friar is a a uh, religious person who goes out into the world and preaches and teaches and travels around, whereas a monk lives primarily in the monastery and the people come to the monastery and uh, encounter the monk there. So Francis and Dominic pioneered in the 1200s this new way of religious life and uh, of, of being peripatetic, of traveling around and uh, sort of religion outside the walls. So that's uh, the, so I think you know, the, the feast of October 4th, he died on October 3rd. And the night of the October 3rd to the 4th is called the Transitus. And Francis sort of transited into heaven. And uh, the, uh, so the, the, the feast of St. Francis is a time to really reflect on his story and his life, but also try and identify some of those um, themes that are not just old pious stuff, but really what what was it about Francis that uh, can motivate me or inform my life? And so one I alluded to earlier, which is you know, seeing the world differently. And that's the name of a book that some of my brothers here in England have written called Seeing Differently. And uh, the um, like my book about running called Running to Resurrection. So the, just a little plug. Uh, the um, yeah, so that was that's one thing about Francis, but uh, and that the core of his spirituality, and that was then further developed by Bonaventure and John Duns Scotus and modern scholars like Ilia Delio and uh, Daniel Horan and others, um, is that the uh, we're all connected, right? That's that love of the Trinity had to express itself, and so that the incarnation was the expression of the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, it was, uh, that love had to go somewhere, so it went into the world. And so Jesus came for love, not to atone for our sins and be nailed to a cross as some kind of atonement, but as an expression of God's love. And so that Franciscan theology is uh, really, has a different take on uh, salvation than the classic forms but the other so that if you play with the notion of the we're all that we all come from the same source we all come from god we all come from 
uh, everything that ever was created comes from the prologue of the Gospel of John, right? Nothing was made that was made without him. So he, everything, so we're all brothers and sisters, not only humans, but that cat that's walking around behind Brian right now, and uh, the minerals and the plants and the clouds and the rain and the, everything, we're all, we all come from the same source. And so we share that. Uh, and because we all come from the same source, uh, we're, we're brothers and sisters. And Francis, uh, in the great poem that he wrote in his life, the first one that was ever written in Italian, called The Canticle of the Creatures, brother, son, and sister moon, right? So he claims kinship with all creation. And uh, so for me, that's uh, uh, a really important thing to remember as we live in a time of ecological crisis of unparalleled dimensions, that it's, uh, it's not uh, the motivating thing for me is what would I do for my family? What would I do for those I love? I would do anything for them. And so the, I'd do anything to contribute to the building up of resistance and resilience and adaptation and to stop the despoliation of the environment. So those things are really uh, come from that Franciscan uh, insight that we all come from the same source. And of course, he was inspired by the Gospels, but uh, he articulated it poetically in the Canticle of the Creatures. And that was then a, uh, a touchstone, a beginning place for Franciscans and generations to follow. So Bonaventure, who was the seventh minister general after Francis, was also a doctor of the church and taught. And uh, so he developed that whole notion of the coming out of the Trinity and of love. So it's been quite a... Um, so I think October 4th is a... Uh, call to solidarity, not only with the church's saints like St. Francis and St. Clair and all the other Franciscan saints, uh, but also with uh, every living creature and every person who's affected by war and violence and hunger, that these are all things that uh, are uh, we need to pay attention to. And this feast day is a day of uh, awakening, of commitment and of celebration of the fact that we aren't isolated creatures that are just scrabbling around trying to get our own uh, salvation or something, but we're in it together. And I think that's a very important point to, to remember, right? I think that's huge. And um, I love that's a, just a deepening of what for a lot of us, it's this lovely little gathering at church where everybody brings their pets and we do this nice blessing and maybe they get a little pet medal for their collar. Um, but I love the the ongoing deepening of this, the idea of solidarity and um, the expression of love and that we're all coming from that same source. Um, for the past seven years, you've lived and worked on the farm at, um, I think it's called Hillfield Monastery. Is that right? Hillfield yeah, Friar. Yeah. Okay, he'll feel friary. And um, right, of course, because you're friars. <laughs> so tell us about that. Tell us about that place, um, its purpose, its work, um, the creatures on that you are with, what you've been doing there. Um, we're fascinated it's by just, Jerusalem is just the best place ever, really. I love it here. And I'm very sorry to be, I'm sad to be leaving, but I've done mm. two times 
Friday at night. So Hillfield Friary was founded 102 years ago in uh, 1921. And uh, it was the uh, hunting lodge of the Earl of Sandwich. And so he gave the land, his, the current Earl was here on Saturday afternoon to say goodbye to me. But the uh, uh, his grandfather gave the land to the brothers and or for a nominal sum, I think. And uh, so that uh, originally we lived and worked uh, market gardens and welcomed soldiers who were suffering from PTSD from uh, World War One. And over the years, it was a, a place that welcomed what they call wayfarers or homeless men who would come. But always they had to work in the gardens and work on the land. The, um, but then about 2008 or nine, they began to think about the, because the state had taken over caring for homeless people and people on the edge like that. There weren't so many uh, wayfarers, people walking in looking for a place to stay. And uh, the, there was a sort of a little crisis, I guess, in the community. What what are we for? What are we about? We have a very visionary brother, Brother Samuel, who uh, said, we need to be more involved with uh, ecology. We, we live at a time of ecological crisis, and we have this great resource in St. Francis, and we have this land. At the time, it was 25 acres, and it's been doubled, uh, and so it's now 50 acres. And so it was like the... Let's see what we can do, I think was sort of the attitude. So they started out uh, reviving the uh, garden and orchards, and they made that. And then they said, well, what do you think? We should get some cows. So they got some cows. And so we shouldn't get any old cows. Let's get the Shetland cows, a beautiful, rare breed from Scotland. And so we got some Shetland cows and then Dorset pulled sheep and then some pigs and some chickens and uh, some beehives. And uh, the, so we found ourselves with, um, or they found, I wasn't here yet, but they had a small herd of cattle and they had some sheep and some pigs and some chickens that laid eggs and uh, they had honeybees. And um, so they incorporated all that into our life so that we had honey for breakfast on Sundays because it was special, right? And we decided that we only eat our own meat. And uh, so we're not self-sufficient in any other way, but we only eat our own meat. And, uh, but uh, eat a lot, like tonight's meal that I cooked, all, everything came from the garden. It was a vegan meal and had uh, zucchini, they call them courgettes over here, zucchinis and uh, everything, the celery, the garlic, the onions, everything came out of the garden. And uh, the, so then uh, it, they began to think, well, so yeah, we have, we're living lightly on the land, but what else can we do? Well, it's not just us and our animals who live on this land. There are lots of different creatures. So and some of them they discovered were at risk for extinction, like the Duke of Burgundy butterfly and the hedgehog and uh, a lot of other species. So uh, they became very much involved in conservation. We put up houses in the eaves of the buildings for the house martins and the swifts 
and uh, little houses to encourage hedgehogs. And we cleared the land, encouraged the growth for the uh, plants that attract the Duke of Burgundy butterfly. And so we started doing all that kind of stuff. And uh, leaving the great, instead of a great swathe of lawn, they started letting it go wild again. And so it attracted all kinds of insects and uh, creatures. And uh, it looked a little raggedy to my American eyes, but the, uh, I've come to see its real beauty because it, we have a huge biodiversity here. And uh, the, we plant the, the Dorset, the fields used to be divided up by uh, hedges. And so we've re-established our hedges and built and planted lots of hedges, which makes the field smallish, but the hedgerows provide uh, tremendous biodiversity and habitat for foxes and rabbits and hedgehogs and uh, voles and uh, every kind of bird. And uh, the, our, we have a, one field that has never been plowed in over a century. So it has got a tremendous amount of English orchids. The uh, eight variety of English orchid that grow like on two acres of land. It's just extraordinary. And uh, so, uh, but then they thought, okay, so we've got the, doing some conservation work, but we should be a little more prophetic than that. So they decided to go off, basically to put in a biomass boiler that create our own heat instead of buying have oil or buying it, that we would uh, burn logs in this. So it's a very sophisticated thing, cost a lot of money. But now we have the, we get these logs from the uh, Dorset County Council, which is right next door. So they're locally sourced. They dry out for a year and then they're chipped up. And then the chips are blown into a hopper and burnt at this very, very high temperature. So that uh, provide, we have eight buildings here, eight houses, and they're all heated by the biomass boiler. And all the hot water that we use comes from the biomass boiler. And the government pays us because we have this renewable resource. Not, so we don't, we earn money off of our energy. And then we uh, thought, well, we could do more. So we uh, started, we installed, uh, what do you call them, solar panels on the roofs of all the buildings. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And then we decided that we needed to get an electric car and get the, because electricity would be free during the day to charge the thing from our um, solar panels. So the, it sort of grew like that. And then people began to seek us out and ask us, like, how do you do this? Or how do you know what words your inspiration? So we began holding courses and the courses like the BioBlitz, we would get large groups of people to come and count how many butterflies they saw, or they went out and they would look at how many different kinds of orchids they could find, or whatever it was that we would do that kind of thing. We had uh, very prominent uh, people come to speak, and so we lar attracted large crowds of people who come to find out about conservation and how to live differently. We created partnerships with Arasha, Russia UK, Russia US, Russia Ghana, it's a Christian conservation organization. So we're one of our community members is on their board of trustees. And uh, the, so it began to be like that. And so we got the gold award uh, because we cut our 
uh, carbon footprint by almost 90%. And uh, so we eat uh, this time of year from April till October or November, we basically eat our own vegetables and meat. So we're almost self-sufficient. Lots of work of canning and freezing and whatever with apples and every conceivable kind of fruit from the fruit garden. And uh, the, um, the rest of the year, we buy all of our vegetables and fruit from an organic uh, supplier, which costs more, but we decided that we would rather eat less and have organic food than instead of having a bunch of cheap food to have a little more expensive. And our milk, for instance, is organic and delivered in churns that we then put it into bottles ourselves. So it's, uh, yeah, we try to live a little on the edge, a little, uh, uh, what? So depending on what's in the gardens, what you eat. And so right now I'm just sick to death of zucchinis, but anyhow, we, we eat them. <laughs> and they're good for you, I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all sick of zucchini right now. And sometimes I had some I had to go up and harvest some um, from our little church here in Roslyn. And mm -hmm. uh, there must have been some zucchini that were hiding on me. <laughs> right, big as baseball bats. They were, they were huge. It was like, <laughs> so if you have any ideas on what to do with, you know, a 15-pound zucchini, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, Clark... Um, you're, how many more days do you have at Hillfield? Well, Thursday, I leave and I go to walk the Camino with some friends. So on Saturday, we fly to Bilbao. So I'm here tomorrow's Wednesday, then Thursday is my ordination anniversary. So I'm going to say Mass at midday and then I'll go. Wow. Yeah. That's momentous. So we're very, very sad and yeah, excited. So what tell what are you hoping you know you what are you looking forward to on the Camino? Well, the, yeah. what am I looking for? I'm looking for um, I think just to to just to enjoy the, the the beauty of the creation of being in Spain, uh, feeling the road under my feet, the wind on my face. The sun on my back, smelling the whatever you smell in October in Spain, uh, and uh, being with these two dear friends, husband and wife, that I were volunteers here that became very close to, and uh, we uh, we laugh a lot. So I'm looking for that kind of uh, deep connection, I think, and uh, the yeah. I can't second guess what God might show me or tell me, but I'm open to whatever. And I'm I'm gonna get out there and and walk and see what happens. Well, I I hope we find some reflections online about your time on the Camino. So now, so where is after the Camino? Where does the road lead? There's no homage to go stay with my mom for a month. And then after that, and in, in after Thanksgiving or sometime, I'll move into the friary in uh, San Francisco. That's my plan. 
Tell us a little bit about the friary. In San yeah. Francisco? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's right on Dolores Park, so it's an urban friary. And uh, there's six or seven brothers there now. And uh, the three of them are senior brothers, and the other three are at least not as senior as the first three. We're not a we're not a young group of guys, but anyhow, I think uh, 40, 50, 40s and fifties is sort of the lower end, and eighties and nineties is the upper end. So the that friary was started in nineteen seventy or seventy one, something like that, and so they've had a lot of work with homeless people. When I lived there in nineteen ninety two. I worked in two shelters, and uh, the brothers also are deeply involved with the diocese and do different work in different parishes and preach and teach. Me, myself, I'm kind of looking uh, to see if there's a way that I can be involved with uh, some uh, ecological awareness, environmental stuff that I'd like to be um, here in England, they have a thing called Christian Climate Action, or uh, where people protest against investment in fossil fuels and try to wake people up to the need for uh, change. So I would like to be involved in something like that. We have some community members here who, you know, glue themselves to the road and stuff. And I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. I'd like to uh, be involved. Uh, but if you're the guardian or the minister or the minister general, it, your commitment is a little bit different. So if I'm free of all that, then maybe I can go get thrown into jail or something fun like that. I'd like that. I love that. I want to know if you get thrown in the jail for sure. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Jerusalem and I will start a, a GoFundMe. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> Great, my defense fund. Uh -huh. That's right. <laughs> I love it. Just don't drive cars. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're going to be in a a good place for doing that work for sure. Um, that's really important, and it matters. We um this past summer had a big festival in Baltimore, and one of our um focuses was on creation care, and we had three young adults speak as one of the plenaries and they spoke about um, climate change and, and a lot of work. And it's just amazing to see. Um, I just keep telling everybody, just look to the young people and follow their lead. Right. Like what <laughs> right. they are, they are, um, they are our prophets and our leaders at this time in that work. And um, so I'm, I'm excited. I know they'll be excited to have you with them. <laughs> oh, That's right. Uh, so if you go to jail, the food's not going to be great there. Um, sorry to tell you, but uh, <laughs> which leads me to my next question. Um, so, you know, the name of the, the podcast is Spade, Spoon, Soul. And we're always thinking about how all of these things connect. And um, I love the stories from the Friary there in the UK. And I hear you on being sick of the zucchini. Um, so I don't think your answer to this question will be anything made with zucchini, but what, one of the things we love to ask all of our guests is what is the, the food, the dish that the one thing 
that just you just take a bite of it and like your whole body just becomes like a noodle because it's just so amazing and comforting and all your senses just dance with joy. Uh, share that with us. What's your favorite? Well, you're asking if that's a high benchmark, but uh, <laughs> I did. I cooked dinner tonight, so I'll tell you what I made. I it was featured zucchini and pasta <laughs> and uh, the some whole lemons and some uh, walnuts. There was mm. a, a sort of a pasta dish with this uh, uh, zucchini and uh, lemon and mushroom sort of sauce on top, and it was really nice, really, really good. So the most of the cooking that I do, most of the food that I eat is very much, well, open the refrigerator and see what's there. And then you try to create something that you can serve 30 or 40 people. So it's not like, yeah, you know, so it's, uh, we have a lot of this, so let's see what we can do. Uh, but if I had to, uh, uh, my favorite meal, the, I think would be seasonal stuff, right? So right now, it would be corn on the cob, watermelon, and uh, if I was uh, visiting my mom, I'd want crack crab. So I love all that. That's amazing. That's and a blackberry pie for dessert. Delicious. Yes. Yes, that sounds amazing. Uh, so you've got some Dungeness crab in your future. <laughs> That's right. I hope so. Come November, we're going to have a crab feed. Yeah. Thank you, Clark. This has been a, a wonderful episode. We're going we're gonna to get back in touch because Jerusalem and both, I know her mind's kind of racing with a bunch of ideas. Um in terms of our work with with Good News Gardens and mm -hmm. how we can be better connected with the friars and, and learn from you all, um, but this is this has been fantastic. So so well, thank I hope you. There's some sense of the Franciscan spirituality and who Francis is for me, and uh, how the inspiration of a 13th century saint. Can make a tremendous impact in the 21st century, right? It's it's not all about bird baths and animal blessings, although those things are really great. But it's also about the putting yourself out there and doing like he did, uh, risking uh, censure, risking people making fun of you, uh, risking uh, your life in order to make the love of Jesus Christ known in a more um, radical way. I got one clarification because I want to make sure I heard this right. So Hillfield Friary is on land that was donated by the Earl of Sandwich? Yeah. Well, wow, is, that isn't a coincidence for a podcast like this. So um, That's right. The current John is, uh, is a friend of ours. I just I just had to make sure of that. Okay. Check that. So now there's one little tiny clarification: the pronunciation of my family name. It's Bergy. Bergy. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, we we're never going to call a 
Franciscan friar a monk ever again <laughs> in our lives. And we're never going to call a Franciscan um, friary a monastery. So, oh, well, I, I didn't mean to be too didactic, but uh, <laughs> no, we've been yeah. making. I'm, so speaking for myself, I've probably been making that mistake for fifty years. So um, I'm I'm happy um, for it. So you've enriched my life. I don't mean to be too pedantic. <laughs> well, that's a wrap for uh, spades, food, soul, or as we like to call it, triple S. And, um, you know, you can find us, um, you know, just start doing some Google search. We're on the, the Tech Casts, the Episcopal Church Podcasts. Oh, and, okay. Um, so we're on Tech Casts. We're on Spotify. We're, you know, you can find us all over the place. And we're on Facebook. And um, but, um, thank you, Clark, for today. Brian and Jerusalem, thank you both. Do you, by any chance, know my friend Lydia Kelsey? Oh, yeah. We both know Lydia very well. We love yeah. her. Her parents were the dearest friends. So. Well, she, we're going to be doing a webinar with her uh, mm-hmm. in a couple weeks for Good News Gardens. Oh, uh, great. She started uh, a ministry in the Upper Peninsula called... Uh, it's it's up wild it's a wild about that on facebook yeah so we're we're going to talk her and the uh um sort of the curator or pastor of up wild lanny lanato um on our webinar at the end of this uh, of september so thank you for letting us uh give that plug but uh yeah she's she's a dear friend of ours yeah. And if you're listening after that webinar, uh, it will, will be recorded and posted on the Good News Garden website on the EpiscopalChurch.org website. So you'll be able to find it if you're interested in seeing Lydia or Peaking Wild. Um, you, can, you can get on there. Um, huge thank to Derek Weston, our producer, and of course to the multi-talented Jay Sidebotham, who does our artwork and Ryan Lee for the groovy music. Um, And to everyone that's hosting a pet blessing um, before or after you listen to this pod, thank you for honoring St. Francis and his work. And we hope that this episode helps you go even deeper into that. So until next time, we hope you will find ways to connect your soul to your spade or spoon or both. Take care, everyone. Bye, everybody.